1: with Donovan and Ken. Episode number 186, recorded December 6th, almost Christmas, 2014. Almost
0: Christmas as the recording, but uh, we uh, won't post agreed. this until well after Christmas. I agree. So today is our 110th 90s episode. 110, Ken. That's amazing, Donovan. I know, right? Crazy. When you when you
1: think about how far we've come in this Ketote-esque uh, quest, to review every Star Trek comic book ever published, uh, this this is a this is a fine number. This is a milestone. Right. Why not? Lots of milestones. So, what right. you you actually did an analysis of looking at all the comics, and how far along are we?
0: Uh, we're about as of today, beginning of, of December two thousand fourteen. We are about sixty. What was it? Sixty? I think it's said sixty-five percent. 65% done. So we've reviewed 533 out of the 821 comic book stories as of right now. Wow. So IDW keeps cranking them out, so we'll always be playing catch-up. But uh, that's a lot of books.
1: That is a lot of books. Wow. 800, really? 800? <sighs> 821 stories. Yeah. Great. It's a good thing we love them so much. True. This is a now lot of time to invest. Oh,
0: yeah, well. Hundred? What was this episode? Hundred and eighty-six. Yep, that's a lot of time. Yep, it is. And thank you for everybody who's been listening for 186 episodes. Oh yes, and I'm sure you listen to every one. Plus the random, you know, uh, one-offs that we do, which may or may not have anything to do with Star Trek. Right. So we only have one '90s episode after today, um, and that'll be next week with uh, the X-Men crossover.
1: X-Men crossover. I'm looking forward to how this works.
0: Okay. Right. But then we'll have to say goodbye to the 90s, uh, because 1999 was not a good year for Star Trek comics. Oh. But then we'll go into the 2000s and and Wildstorm and then IDW. Cool. Pick up the ball. Yeah. Big time with uh, Wildstorm, huh? Good. Yeah. Well, Wildstorm didn't last too terribly long. They they were kind of a flash in the pan, but A lot of their stuff is like graphic novels, so I mean it's like a hundred and fifty-page book, you know. So Uh, we will not be doing three of those when we do those. So uh, even though there's not as many stories that Wildstorm done, a lot of them are really long, so we'll stretch them out a little bit longer into more episodes. Okay, so something to look forward to. Great. In the meantime, though, we've got three fine comics in this episode. True. We're finishing off Starfleet Academy. With uh, mm. issue number nineteen yeah and then a couple of one shots uh, one being operation assimilation and one being the Riker special the Riker special
1: the Riker special being a bit longer than the uh, assimilation book but and i I gotta say I kind I really enjoy where the uh, operation assimilation goes investigating a very interesting little nook and cranny of the whole Borg Esque thing. Right. So I look forward to us getting to that one.
0: And, and the Riker one and I thought it was was good. It, it 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 set up something that I would like for them to go back to, but I don't know if they ever will. Since uh it, I think it was the last Marvel comic, uh the last Star Trek Marvel comic uh that they did. So Well any it, any plot plot set up. In that issue, will never get revisited. Exactly. It,
1: it did go down an, an interesting path with the Riker character, even if I find it a bit unbelievable. But it is kind of interesting. So, well, we'll get to it and
0: see. Right. We'll get to it. Exactly. So we'll do uh, we'll do that one after we do uh, Starfleet Academy number nineteen. Right. All right. Well, then I'll go ahead and start uh, synopsisizing Star Trek: Starfleet Academy issue nineteen. Marvel Comics, June of 1998, entitled Between Love and Hate. All right, so the writer was Chris Cooper, penciler Chris Renault, inker Andy Lanning, letterer Jim Novak, colorist Kevin Somers, editor Bobby Chase, editor-in-chief Bob Harris, with gratitude to Gene Roddenberry for the opportunity to humbly further his dream. That's a little, little dedication there. So the cover shows Kovald and Pava fighting within the cabin of a small ship. And then behind them, it looks like maybe the the bulkheads are crumbling, maybe opening up to the vacuum of space. We don't know. And then the caption reads, Final issue, and someone must die. So the story starts off with Pava and the affected Kovald fighting in the small Klingon ship. During the fight, they turn off the containment field that's been holding the grotesque form of what was once Merg. Back on the planet, Omega Squad and what is left of 1st Cadre and Ensign Lee watch as the shuttle Pava and Kovald are in rockets away. They then decide to work together to get their friends back. So both the Klingon and the Federation group come to this conclusion. Ensign Lee has them beamed aboard a runabout, and they give chase to the fleeing Klingon ship. The Klingon ship is heading straight towards the sun. Pava and Kovald fight with a variety of weapons. Kovald is in a rage and never seems to even know what's going on. So he's not all malformed like Merg, but something's not right. As the Federation runabout nears the Klingon shuttle, First Cadre contacts a cloaked bird of prey and they beam away. The mutated merg monster gets the hold of Kolvald, and Pava is able to kill it. She is then about to kill Kolvald when the hologram necklace of Camilla that's around her neck turns on. The sight of her friend stops Pava from killing the man who killed Camilla. Suddenly, Kovald seems to snap out of it, and he talks to Pava. He tells her that he and Merg found an artifact that mutated Merg and changed his mind. He plots a course to the sun, and he beams Pava over to the nearby runabout, just as he sacrifices himself to save the universe from anybody else having his same fate. First Cadre, not knowing what happened aboard the shuttle, Vow vengeance against Pava and the rest of Omega Squad. But then they retreat to fight another day. We flash forward years later. Captain Adem Astron has been sharing these stories to a young woman named Fatima. Fatima is now a cadet at the Academy. And she asks for more information. Captain Ashton says that he's too tired. And that she should go ask her Aunt Pava. He then closes the book by saying that the adventure is just beginning. The end. To infinity and beyond. So that's what you think the uh, the hands on the shoulder or uh, hands on the hip on the hips. Opposed? Yes. So the last
1: shot, the last panel in the comic has Astrid and Fatima next to each other with the sand, with Golden Gate behind them and uh, a futuristic-looking shuttle in the air, and perhaps some some exploding fireworks in the background, and they're looking up. Hands, fists at the hips, ready for the future. Yes. I think it's a little overdone. <laughs> it, it's, a little, it's a little overdone, but, you know, that's cool.
0: Well, from what I've read, uh, these are not the original last two pages of the book. Oh, really? So. Ooh. So interesting. when I, – I guess it was a surprise to Chris Cooper that uh, this series was actually getting canceled along with all the other Marvel Star Trek uh, titles. So he, at the last minute, he was able to uh, change the last two pages of the book to give some sort of closure. And that's where these two pages came from. That is very interesting. Hmm. It is interesting, but my goodness, they open up huge cans of worms that we will now never know where he was going to go with this. Exactly. I mean, some things are clear, some things are just teasers. Um so let, let's do let's do the list. Well, I, I don't know about you, but nothing on these l- last two pages are clear to me except for maybe well, Captain Astrin, Astrin.
1: Captain Astron so he, Castron becomes, uh, makes captain, and he's older, of course, in this, in this co- in these last pages, and at least you know he was successful.
0: Right. All so, right, I mean, so being
1: a captain and being able to read people's minds, I, I think that'd be handy. Hmm.
0: <laughs> All right, so then let's start with the, uh, the, the big questions. One, why are they still wearing these uniforms?
1: Yeah. <laughs> 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 Exactly You yeah. think they'd be more different than they are Right sure. yeah.
0: Anyways, that was a joke uh, Alright, so who, who's Fatima?
1: Good question So, as you'll recall There was a Fatima Or Fatima, I don't know the exact pronunciation But there was a Fatima That was in an alternate future That was presented I don't, I don't remember which issue of the comic series But it was presented And it was Camila's daughter um and she was really into Aunt Pava and all that kind of stuff. So and,
0: and Uncle Kovald.
1: there you go, Uncle very good point, Uncle Kovald. So that was a very nice uh alternate future that unfortunately never came to be.
0: Right. Yeah, so, so
1: who is she in this context? Is right. she is she Astrand and Topril's kid?
0: Well, I, I was kind of thinking that too, but she only refers to him as Captain Ashton and not Dad, so sure. I'm thinking that's not the case.
1: Okay, um, it, and she's she's kind of fair complected,
0: right? So, so she yeah, and she has human ears, so she's not
1: Vulcan, right? So is she uh, <laughs> Decker's daughter and somebody? I don't know, right? Uh, Obviously, again, for the same things you just mentioned, she's not um, Andorian
0: descent. Right, right. Or she's not 90. Nog's kid. <laughs> <laughs> that would be kind of <laughs> obvious. So there is also the possibility that she is indeed Camilla's daughter. Um, if, if you remember... There was a few issues ago where Nog was getting advice from somebody, and and he kind of looked perplexed, and he said, "Camila," and they never showed who was talking to him. So that that storyline will nev- never get resolved, and and I'm kind of wondering if maybe they did bring her back somehow, and we just never got to find out how. Mm. Do you remember that mm-hmm. issue? It was. Well,
1: it was, I remember that. That yeah. that was where. That was where Nog was on Deep Space Nine working on some power conduits or something. Exactly. And supposedly uh, Omega Squad was destroyed. Supposedly. But they weren't. Right. And, yeah. uh, because his voice told them they're good and they need your help. Yeah, but the thing is, that voice didn't seem to... Con- I mean, it seemed to be like an Obi-Wan Kenobi kind of post-death voice, just popping up out sure. of wherever. That didn't look like it was right. coming out of a communication panel or anything. Right. Yeah, but we don't know. Well, no, we don't. But I, I, I took that as an Obi Wan kind of thing, somehow oh. coming back from the dead and speaking to people.
0: But who right. knows? You're right. But but how would she do that? She I doesn't know. have the Force. Ah,
1: good point. Completely She's good point. Not trained by Yoda. Yeah, and maybe we'll find out that Camila maybe had little interaction when she was, uh, you know, before she had died that we just weren't privy to. Oh, maybe she she had a baby and, and we just didn't know about and it they they just didn't tell us maybe before she
0: came to the academy who knows maybe yeah oh I don't I don't like that one yeah I don't like that one either but it no. is a possibility yeah because in that alternate future did it ever say who the dad was uh no I don't think they did
1: she right. was just hanging around was she was she captain by that point or was she ambassador or what was she she, she was she, she was, was an doing, ambassador,
0: right? Because she was right. she was bringing peace to the Klingons and
1: between Klingons people. and the Federation
0: again, yet again. Right? right. Yeah. Well, it it doesn't always take, you know. It, yeah. Apparently, anyway. a decade or two later, and then they hate us again. Exactly. It seemed like a lot of because uh, we re- dishonored them. Yeah.
1: yeah. It seemed like a lot of retreading of the uh, some of the ideas in the last uh, TOS movie. Anyway, right
0: I mean, now, did so, did Camilla have a sister? Maybe maybe it's supposed to be Camilla's sister in some way?
1: Uh I, mean, I don't remember. I can't remember I, don't I remember can't remember having it. a sister.
0: Yeah, I don't but maybe either. maybe she did. Yeah, I don't I don't either. remember that. So, so, so
1: obviously that's a that's an excellent example of a uh, a dangling threat out there that <laughs> we really don't know what the heck it means. So, but we know it means We're something.
0: Right.
1: Cuz why would they fi- right. pick that name otherwise?
0: Exactly. And she does look like Camilla.
1: Yeah, she does. So this Viator, the Viator threat. So that sounds like a, a, a big bad. Uh, sounds like probably what they intended to be um, Omega Squad's Borg, you know, ultimate
0: enemy kind of thing, maybe. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, he mentions that uh, they were grounded until the Viator crisis, and right. then that's that's <clears throat> what she asked for more right. information on, and he says he can't do it, but.
1: Yeah, and she likes the stories, so obviously um, they must have overcome them, obviously.
0: Well, yeah, right.
1: Yeah. And, but doesn't that kind of sound like like whoever she is, she is somebody that Captain Astron has known for a long time, since she
0: was a kid. Right, you would think so. Yeah. And he's just projecting these images into her head now that yeah. she's a cadet or something, or furthering some stories she already knew about. Yeah, I don't know But can he project
1: Things into anybody's head Or does she have to have some kind of Betazoid uh, psychic powers For that to at uh, work
0: I don't know, he was able to Communicate with Enzen Lee a few times So I think that he can just do whatever he wants to
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> Handy, handy, okay uh, So we
1: also know that First Cadre has now even more Reason to cause trouble for Omega Squad Than
0: before Right, but they're not mentioned on those last two pages So we I don't, don't ever know what happens to them. But I'm just
1: saying, they left yeah. that open Another thing that wasn't mentioned is We still know that Thokal Who was deeply in love with uh, Selkie Taprel uh, We know that And that he's got Taprel's body Who's perfectly preserved apparently uh, We know that that's a threat out there Again, not mentioned in the last pages But we know that's out there We don't know how that resolves Right. And what's the deal with Zund?
0: Yeah, that was that was the other can of worms they opened up in this last two pages that I I don't even know what what they're even talking about. Poor tormented Zund, we right. didn't know then. Exactly, that's what he says. And right. what is he talking about?
1: Oh, well, well, actually, I think Zund when Zund was talking about Taprill situation uh, with the two the two combating minds in there, um, right. She did say something about being able to relate but I thought it was just the normal kind of interaction between the symbiote and uh the trill I mean right that's what I thought too that's what I thought but apparently something more was going on according to this
0: or is it something completely else I mean cuz I mean they did have her you know the the background of her knowing where that Romulan Fortress was right. and knowing how to get it around. So I mean are, right. are they talking about something there that's not so, necessarily
1: related to So in a previous host body, um he did some really or
0: some really nasty things were done, and that's something that Zun was living with? Right. Yeah, hmm. and that that maybe she has like some flashbacks or something later right. around this time. Yeah. Well I don't Thokal, know.
1: Focal did say that uh, did say to Zund
0: That you made all this possible You know what was going on there So right. And then didn't he also say like Oh you're the Trill Oh that's too rich You know or something like that <sighs> Right. That. So yes yeah, so, something's going on there And I, I was thinking more that Something that happened then Is what he's referring to But, but maybe it is just normal I, I don't know Well maybe it's a
1: guilt thing Because bad things were done in the past Who knows all right. Uh, and then, then that we did – we did did we mention Decker and Nog not being mentioned at all? No, we did not. Okay. So they weren't mentioned at all, so we don't know what happened to them. Were they killed? Uh, or were they just not worth mentioning?
0: Yeah. <laughs> well, we know Nog didn't get killed, so. Yeah. Well – He went we, on for a couple more years on Deep Space Nine. Yeah, but
1: then there was a lot more time of his life before this thing with Captain Astrid po- – That time period, so right, true. So yeah, so we know we know Nog's around for a while, but
0: who knows? Yep, we don't know Nog and or Decker, and we know that Pava's still alive just because she's Auntie Pava, right? So she meant, oh, that's oh, that's a good point. She did. Astron
1: did mention, or she mentioned something about Auntie Pava, right? Right. He says that he she
0: should talk to Aunt Pava for. There you go.
1: There you go, okay. So, obviously, that's even more icing on the cake that says that somehow she's very close to our our characters, perhaps a daughter of somebody.
0: Right, right. Yep. Now, of all the Starfleet Academy characters, and to my knowledge, and, and I might be wrong here, so don't beat me up if I make a mistake, but Pava does show up in some of the... Um, Titan novels, you know, Titan oh, being cool. uh,
1: Riker Captain
0: ship? Captain Riker's ship. She's like cool. a security officer or something on the ship. Ah, um, that's a good role for her, right? And and I haven't read those, or I think I read the first one. I didn't read any of the other ones, so I don't know if they ever, you know, do some like point of view from her where she's remembering any of these characters. But um, at, at least somebody had some life after after this last book. Hmm, cool. Well, actually I'd be very interested
1: in reading one of those Titan novels. See what the deal is with Captain Riker and was it supposed to be a mostly alien
0: crew? Right, yeah, all he is like like the only human or I think there's one other human um Remember on Star Trek First Contact um the bridge crew member that starts turning into a Borg, and they're on the when they're doing the EV thing, and, and yeah, Picard has to kill him. Yeah, that's uh, uh, Captain or uh, Lieutenant Hawk. Hawk. Hawk, right? Yeah, so his, and again, correct me if I'm uh, forgive me if I'm wrong because it's been many years since I read that book, but his boyfriend is on the Titan. So, if I remember right, there's some friction between this guy and Riker because of how Lieutenant Hawk ended up at, in that movie. Hmm. And he somehow he somehow blames Riker for what Picard had to do. Now, again, uh, it's been so many years and I did not uh plan on talking about that, so I don't know if 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 I'm misremembering, but when I recall that book, that's one of the plot lines I remember. Hmm. Okay. Cool. So it, it's good. It, it's a good book, and they have some like aquatic aliens there on the ship that that have to walk around in EV suits and and things like that. So ah. it, it's okay. it's an interesting mix of people. Cool. Well, All right. So back to this issue. Yes. Um, yeah. So the, the whole the whole wrap up of the story itself was was pretty straightforward and, and didn't have a lot to talk about um, with the the mutated Merg fighting Pava and, and Kovald. I mean, really, wasn't a lot to talk about there.
1: No, probably not. Except for the fact that um, it's interesting how Kovald makes the decision to. Um, to kill himself. I mean, killing Merg, that's one thing. But apparently he felt that he was compromised enough by this alien life force. This evil alien life force. Which, by the way, was pretty pretty stinking random, in my opinion. Um, that Because I mean, he could have been beamed off the ship. you know, he, he didn't have to fly into the sun unless he felt he was too compromised. But...
0: Right, I thought that he. The only reason why he was gaining a little bit of consciousness was because he said the, the pain of of the oh, fight combat. kind yeah. of snapped him out of it. But he was already kind of losing it again, and, and yeah. maybe uh, he he didn't think that you know it had anything to do with just being in close proximity of the artifact. Yeah. Well, the thing kind of reminded
1: me of uh, of heavy metal. The cartoon metal hurlant, uh yeah, heavy metal, so the movie that they made you know from the books they um there was definitely the you know the 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 orb that was flying around all the time that was supposed to be well i I don't want to go into the history of it because I don't remember all the details of it, but somehow it was like a piece of a world and a civilization or something, but it was really evil and floated around and compromised people, either killed them outright. Or uh, took them over To have mischief going on yeah. Anyway, it kind of reminded me of that Because uh, of course At one point in The the movie Heavy, Heavy Metal Which I assume is patterned after some of the books um, you know, There's a miner who's digging down and finds it And then grabs it And then basically releases
0: it uh, So the whole thing gave me a, That vibe Yeah, I don't know if I've ever watched that All the way through I mean, I need to give it another look. You should give it a look. I, I thought it was just an movie. anthology. I thought I didn't know it was one long story throughout the whole movie. I thought it was just a bunch of little random stories. Well, they're random stories, but they were tied together by that orb.
1: that oh, okay. was that was in each of those Yeah, it that orb showed up in each of the stories.
0: Oh, okay. But mm. yeah,
1: cuz I think okay so Metal Hero I think that's the way you pronounce it it was a French um, anthology kind of sci-fi series Uh, which I guess they brought to the states under Heavy Metal the name Heavy Metal uh, and then they eventually did a movie which I I always loved that movie and now on sci-fi they were showing they have new uh, I think it's a Belgium production of Metal Hurlant. Um, so they have like half an hour anthology series. Really? There's
0: a TV show of Happy Metal?
1: Yeah, right. Yeah, is but it... it's, it's produced in Europe, but they do it in English, so, you know. And they have a lot of is good it, is actors. Is it a cartoon?
0: Is it animated? Or... No, no,
1: it's, it's live action. It's
0: live action, huh.
1: Yeah. So they got um, Joe Flanagan from Stargate Atlantis. Was it an episode? Um, and they've got uh, oh, who is the guy that played the bad replicant in Blade Runner? Uh, Rutger Hauer. Hauer, right? So they got a lot of you know actors in it. They're only half an hour long ones, and um, they're you know they're not the biggest budget in the world, but I think it's kind of interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, so sci-fi. I mean, you might actually be able to watch it uh, through the sci-fi um, app. Or the sci-fi dot com website, maybe. I don't know. Hmm. All right, at, know, I, to... There weren't a huge number of episodes, so I don't. I know they were playing it. Anyway, back to the comic. <laughs> so I definitely got that that vibe from the um, from that from that orb that Kovald found.
0: Right. Yeah, I just thought it was really convenient that the necklace. Got caught on the bat left just as she was about to kill him, and oh god, Camila's head popped up, and that's what oh <laughs> I still
1: loving. Uh, I can't kill him.
0: So, yeah, well, it's a good thing she didn't. So,
1: oh, well, that would make her not a good person, and uh, it allows Kovald to get rid of the threat, but right. in a very dramatic fashion. Oh, Kovald, my first and truly only love.
0: But you know. Co- But Camilla was all about bringing the peace. So her legacy finally lived on. It did. And somehow Uh, created a baby. And we don't know how.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, who knows? Maybe he'll do a book. Who? I don't know. Um, The writer. Chris Cooper. Uh, Chris Cooper. Maybe he'll do a book someday. Why not?
0: I remember reading an interview that, that he said that he hoped that Whichever comic book company Picked up the rights Would continue the story and, Right And he was kind of disappointed No one ever did Yeah Well
1: Why doesn't he write a book? I mean there's plenty of You know Expanded universe Star Trek stuff Yeah you should You should That's right I would, I'd read it I would I'd, I'd buy that I'd pick that up And that's the last thing I have to say About
0: This issue
1: And I guess The entire uh, Comic series
0: the entire series wrapped up right there. Boom. There you go. Yeah, well, um, I, I guess we do they did give an origin to uh Metal Face guy. Oh, that, right. Yeah. I mean, that I kind of skipped over in the synopsis, but uh you you were a big fan of him last year or last issue, so and you weren't. Nope. Didn't like him.
1: Didn't have much time for him.
0: He, he reminded me too much of a character named Trapjaw on the Masters of the Universe. <laughs> but when I was a kid, I loved it. I thought he was one of my favorite characters. But And he had that exact face. He had a, Oh. Well, except he was a greenish skin face and then this uh, giant uh, metal jaw. Well, uh,
1: it wouldn't be the first time uh, <laughs> barrels were, were recycled <laughs> in the comic
0: world. Right. Alright, okay, I'm good. You want to move on to Riker Special?
1: Yeah, so this is kind of a long one. Um, lots of stuff going on, but we get to uh, get back with the next-gen gang, which is always a good thing. Okay, so enemy, the enemy of my enemy is the title of the next-gen Riker Special, number one. July 1998 is the published date. Writer is Dan Abnett and Ian Edginton. Penciler, Andrew Curry. Inker, Art Nichols. Colors by Matt Webb. Letters by Chris Elopolis and Virtual Calligraphy. Paramount liaison, Chip Carter. Assistant editor, Julio Soto. Editor, Tim Tui. Editor-in-chief, Bob Haras. The cover features a photograph of Jonathan Frakes in his gray and black Starfleet uniform. Behind him are illustrated pages from the comic book in light and dark blue ink. It looks a little bit like a blueprint kind of uh, color scheme in the background. The story opens on an icy mining colony named Perdition. A dead body lies in the snow near an opening to the local watering hole. None of the locals seem to notice, as they try to survive themselves in this frighteningly cold world. Inside, a stranger with a beard and a RoboCop visor drinks alone at a table. A nasty-looking mutt group of locals takes note of him because of the questions he has been asking around. When the Nausikin in the group gets into the stranger's face and threatens to skin him alive... The Stranger upends his table and opens up on the no-goodniks with two Klingon disruptors. The human goes down first, then the Klingon, then the Andorian. The Stranger gives the now-standing Nausicaan a chance to walk. When the vile creature does not, Riker shoots him. Ro Laren stands out of the shadows. She had to make sure the Stranger has what it takes to be Maquis. They don't just accept anyone anymore. Commander William T. Riker says he is glad to hear that. Scene cuts to the Enterprise-E where Captain Picard informs Data of his promotion to first officer, replacing Commander Riker. Data is not happy about how the vacancy for him to step into came to be. Picard tells Data to make the post his own. What Riker did to deserve his court-martial is a closed subject, and Picard does not want to discuss it. The captain asks Data to do a full analysis of the increasing pirate activity in the Pirella area. Dismissed, number one. Riker has his audience with the local leaders of the Maquis. They think he is a plant. Even Roe says she knows how cunning Riker can be. She will need proof as well. Riker launches into a story about his twin Thomas, became a Maquis, and was eventually captured and imprisoned by the Cardassians. Riker's attempts to contact Thomas were blocked by Starfleet. He goes on to say he eventually became an informant who operated under the code name Hephaestus. They recognize the intelligence they got from Hephaestus as vital to their cause. They start to warm up to Riker. Rowe says they have a job for Riker. If he succeeds, they may trust him with more. They beam up to the Maquis ship with Riker. Meanwhile, on the Enterprise E, Geordi is speaking with Data in Data's quarters. He is still uneasy about taking Riker's place as First Officer. He is trying to find out more about Riker's betrayal of the Federation. It is out of character for Riker to do such a thing. Data cannot get through to the needed Data, even with his new rank's privileges. Data gives up for now. Meanwhile, on a Klingon bird of prey, Riker finds out Ro has formed an alliance with the Klingon House of Krug. Kanira has a beef with Riker for destroying the Dura sisters, which led to him having nothing but his ship and what's left of his tattered honor. Roe says the Klingons hate the Cardassians as much as the Maquis, since they joined the Dominion. They have plans to strike a punishing blow to Cardassia. Riker asks what the plan is. Kanera responds by giving orders to set course for Sector zero, zero, 001. Meanwhile, Picard is reporting to Admiral nechayev about the Maquis plot that involves Earth and the Klingons. Picard reports they have learned from the Maquis cell they have been monitoring. nechayev tells Picard he knows what to do and closes the channel. Picard calls a meeting of a senior staff. Alone in his ready room, before the meeting, he says, I'm sorry, Will. The cloaked bird of prey enters orbit around Earth. Riker, Roe, and a third Maquis beam down to the Starfleet's central archive. They are to retrieve information as quickly as they can, since the bird of prey needed to decloak to complete the transport. The other Maquis take out a few librarians and stand guard while Riker uses his general access to get access to non-restricted data that Kinera wants badly. Another Maquis named Murad takes over from Riker and starts hacking the archive system. Starfleet security beams in and a firefight ensues while Murad continues to search for the vital data. The Maquis team returns to the Bird of Prey with the data only to find Kanira and his men are holding disruptors on them. The Klingons betrayed them. Roe turns over the data chip. With a few more disclosures for, from Kanira, Riker figures out it's the technical specs for the Genesis device. Roe says no big whoop, but Kanira calls her weak. But Joran, fool... With it, Kanera intends to build thousands of genesis devices and start wiping out opposition to the House of Krug. Kanera says to think that Starfleet would declassify this technology so cadets could experiment with it, as if the passage of time would make a weapon of this magnitude less deadly. Riker and Roe attack. Murad takes a disruptor blast to the chest. Riker and Roe have to retreat away from the recovering Klingons. They are outnumbered. Kanera says, there's no place to hide. Cut to the Enterprise-E briefing room. Picard is telling his senior staff that Riker is innocent, and it was all part of a ruse to get Riker into the Maquis. It worked. They found out much more about an alliance with the Maquis and a Klingon named Kanera. Unfortunately now, they know Kanera wanted the plans to a very dangerous weapon. He must be stopped before he can get that information to his confederates, who could start building the weapon. They are taking the Enterprise to the Klingon border and have orders to destroy K'nira's ship, even if Will is aboard. Meanwhile, in the air decks of the Bird of Prey, Riker finds out how Roe came to make a deal with K'nira. The Maquis had been taking such losses at their fight with the Dominion that they had to do something, take risks they would normally not take. Roe says she just wants to take one crack at Kinera before they gun her down. Riker says there might be another way. He admits he is a plant. The Enterprise has been tracking him. Roe does not believe it since they had been checking for radio signals. Riker removes the fake skin that covers an advanced implant that runs at least the length of his lower arm. Experimental Technology all they have to do is drop out of warp, and Riker will be able to call the Enterprise. The only catch is, the Enterprise will likely be under orders to destroy the Bird of Prey on sight. Rowe says, what's wrong with that, Riker? You planning to live forever? Riker re- replies, actually, yes. Riker and Rowe fight their way into engineering and weld the main entrance shut. Riker starts firing on sensitive control systems and taking out engines, inertial dampers, and the cloak. Kinera is on the bridge, and he is not taking the news well at all. Data picks up a Klingon bird of prey, Cavort class, on sensors near the Klingon border. He is also picking up Riker's signal. Picard calls red alert, maximum warp, to intercept that ship. Kanera's men pick up the Enterprise, coming to them at high warp on sensors. Kanera is delighted. Taking out the namesake of Kirk's ship will be sweet vengeance for his bloodline. Riker and Roe are pinned down and taking fire. A huge explosion sends a concussion through engineering. Since they are hunkered down, Riker and Roe take minimal damage, but the Klingons are another matter. They figure it's the Enterprise softening up the smaller Klingon vessel. Picard gives the order to track Riker's signal and beam him out. Riker starts to dematerialize. Roe stands away from him. She says she needs to settle a score with Kinira, and then maybe find a shuttlecraft. They say goodbye. The bird of prey explodes. Vachoom! Transport complete. Riker is on the Enterprise. Data tries to turn first officer duties back to Riker right away, but he asks Data to hold on to it for now. Riker spends time in his quarters wondering, questioning whether Starfleet policy concerning the Maquis is right. He questions what side he should be on. He feels loss for Roe's death. Scene cuts to space, not far from the bird of prey's destruction. In a small shuttle graph sits a damaged Roe Larin who is living to fight another day the end that was a long one yes it was a long one so cutting to the chase I gotta ask well actually I have to ask two things number one why why is the Federation still uh, trying to fight the Maquis if they're trying to fight the Cardassians Who are now the Federation's enemy So I completely agree with that point And the other point is I don't buy the whole thing About Riker's tie to His Transporter clone Giving him the motivation to uh, Turn against the Federation I just don't buy it Well he didn't do it So what? what is there to buy? Well okay two things Number one The Maquis bought it Which is ridiculous. I think they were idiots. But
0: you're smarter than the Maquis king.
1: uh, No. And then number two, at the end, Riker's actually thinking about doing what he used as a a a pretext to get into the Maquis. He's actually thinking about it. He's wondering. I mean, he's following the same path as his uh, transporter clone or twin, whatever.
0: Right. Yeah, I mean, he is he is contemplating, you know, uh, the Maquis' plight. As he should. They're not all that bad. I mean, yes, they do bad stuff, but they're doing it for what they see as good reasons, which is what I was thinking, that he was just sympathizing with them, not necessarily thinking of going their way. Well, okay. He, he doesn't want...
1: He tells Day to back off with turning over uh, duties to him. Right. He's off in his quarters thinking, looking out into space. As we know, that's what you do when you have big things to think about. You look out a window. And, um, I don't know, he's, he's at least thinking about the idea of maybe the Federation is right. Um, and maybe they don't come out and say it, but they're sure insinuating that Maybe Riker's really thinking about joining the Maquis.
0: I don't think he's thinking about joining the Maquis. I think he, he thinks that Ro Loren's dead and that she died for something that he doesn't necessarily disagree with, right. with her motivations. But I, I don't right. I don't get that he's thinking about turning. Well, I think that's what they're trying to insinuate. Possibly. I just thought I he was just sad that th- Ro Lauren
1: died because she was Well, I think it's more than just Roe. I mean, yes, he's definitely sad about Lauren dialing. I mean, especially in her jumpsuit. I mean, the jumpsuit she has when we first see her at the beginning on that planet, it's like, jeez, did she get, like... I mean, she looks like um, Laura Croft in some of those outfits. You know, it's like... It looks like Rose <laughs> had a little work done in the chest area.
0: Yeah, the the red jumpsuit. Right. Right. But unfortunately, that's not what she dies in. She dies... Un, un, yeah, unfortunately, she gets rid of that outfit
1: far too quick. <laughs> anyway, back yeah, to the main point. Right. yeah yes, She's on. Un, he's unhappy about Roe. Yes, no two ways about that. But he's also questioning uh, Starfleet's policy towards the Maquis.
0: Well, they are terrorists. They're, they they do kill people, so. Right, but
1: I think I'm I'm kind of surprised that the Federation isn't. At least rethinking how they deal with the Maquis, considering they have a common a- enemy in the Cardassians right and and of course a dominion you know well what's what's the name of the oh. so the name of this um this episode is what enemy of my enemy that's the name of this issue, yeah, yeah, enemy of my enemy, and that's right, I mean, the Maquis are the
0: enemy <laughs> of the federation's enemy I mean right, yeah, so they know. should be friends. Well, you think, you think. Well, Deep Space Nine did that several times, where there was like during the Dominion War, there would be the the random off episode where Cisco's having to track down that uh, that that rogue Starfleet captain that that right. joined with the Baki. He yeah. he gets his help. Right. Yeah, and they teamed up occasionally. Right, and they did
1: that in the comics too. True, but right, but they don't seem to really. Change their general public policy towards them, and maybe that's just something that takes more time. I don't know, but
0: right, right. Well, I mean, I agree with the the Maquis' point of view. I thought that's why they made good villains. That that they're they're villains, and yet you sympathize with them. Yet mm-hmm. they do stuff that makes them villains, which is the the terrorist acts and sure and yep. things like that. So you yep. can't you can't side with their. Their actions, but you can side with their motivations, which which I've always enjoyed.
1: Yeah, it makes it a lot grayer, right? Instead of being so black and white,
0: right? Borg are bad; it's obvious, right? Yeah, there's no traditional traditional
1: Klingons are bad; it's obvious, you know, in the old days. Right? Romulans are bad. Ah. Anyway,
0: so, anyways, I, I, I I I like the end of this book. um... I mean, I, I like that. I thought that he was just sad that Rowan died, and that you know, I, I didn't get that he was gonna start becoming Thomas Riker. Yeah, well, I think they.
1: Uh, I think they at least opened that door, right? In in the dialogue and what was going on in Riker's head.
0: I did think it was funny that uh, Riker's like, "No, no, no! You hold on to that, Pip." I, I need time to think, and then yes. the next panel there he is with the pip. So <laughs> as soon as that, as soon as he said that, he's like, ah just give it to me." Oh, that—that's a good point. I did not notice that.
1: <laughs> so he's got he's well. He, so he's got three pips normally, right?
0: Right. He's normally got three. Yeah. When 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 data's trying to give him the third one, he's like, "Oh he's no, no, two. no, you keep it." And then in the next panel, he's got him. He's like, he's back on. He's back.
1: He's back, baby. That's a very good point, yes, because it shows him with two right there.
0: Right. Huh. Yeah. So I thought that was funny. I was like, oh, he, it didn't take him long to uh, to let Data keep that pip.
1: Okay, but he's got the uniform left over from the espionage thing, right? Right.
0: Okay. Well,
1: yeah. Okay, yeah, fine. i not understand why
0: Why was Data trying to give him the pip anyways? It's... The new co- whenever they get a new costume from the dry cleaner, doesn't the aren't the pips on there, or do they have to stick them on there every time? I don't know, man. But
1: you know they're supposed to be metal things. You know you probably would take them off for dry yeah. cleaning because they've well, got magnetomic adhesion that makes it easy, very easy to remove and very easy to put back on because it's the future.
0: And then I want to see somebody walking down the hallway, and then Picard's like, uh, "Excuse me." And or, "Or, Lieutenant, your your pips are crooked." Oh, sorry, nah. sir. <laughs> Straighten your pips, man.
1: Right, right. And if anybody would be doing that, it would be Riker, because he
0: sweats the small stuff. So let's talk about uh, bionic arm scene. That that was kind of ridiculous, don't you think? Oh, where he's uncovering his arm with the fake skin to show
1: the uh, transmitting device.
0: Right, and it's huge, and how did yeah. you not notice that his arm was all lumpy and <laughs> cybernetic underneath this thin piece of rubber skin?
1: Well, obviously they're insinuating that with the magic fake skin on, you can't notice. But did they do a strip search? I didn't see a strip search. Strip search.
0: Probably. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. It was it was silliness. I, I was just like seriously, fake skin, cybernetic pieces to somehow. Yeah, uh, okay.
1: I I I was okay with it. Okay. Although I do agree, it was a little hokey, and especially the idea that it's partially biological or something
0: biochemical.
1: Biochemical is that what they said? Yeah, I don't know, but. You know, at least one thing I did like about it is they didn't say, ooh, it's a subdural transmitter or something that was like a little thing they inject into your neck. I mean, if this something has to be able to send signals over vast distances, you'd think it had to be pretty powerful and not a small device. So at least I'm glad they they made it big enough that it takes up, you know, a good chunk of the arm. So I'm glad they did that much. Mm-hmm. Okay, But yeah, some of the details of the execution, fine But some of the other details uh, in the drawing I think were, were very cool Like they were truly using uh, dol- the dolphin style uh, hand phasers in this So I thought that was very good of them to get that right
0: um, The fe- The Federation ones? Federation ones, yes Those are called dolphin style? Dolphin style, yes
1: because they're really curved, the handle's really curved, right. and the head, the head part, is really small. Um, so, and and those were first used in Nemesis.
0: Oh, okay. Which, as, I, this as was, this, I recall, which this comic book came out for Nemesis. So that's kind of amazing.
1: Wait a minute,
0: I thought this was in the time frame after Nemesis. No, this is in the time frame after First Contact. And in Before mm. Insurrection. Okay.
1: Well, how do you how do you know that?
0: Uh, because... Well, okay, so Riker's it. still on the ship. Right. So
1: wasn't Riker getting ready to leave for the Titan? No. In Nemesis?
0: Yeah.
1: In Nemesis, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. And, and so if that would be an explanation.
0: Okay. Data would be dead.
1: Oh, good point. Good point. Well, the first time I remember seeing the Dolphin Phaser was in Nemesis, but maybe they used it prior to that. But they're definitely using the uh, dolphin phaser.
0: Okay, I mean I, I I totally believe you.
1: Okay, you should.
0: Anything you say, sir. <laughs> no.
1: You,
0: yeah, I, I don't question your your phaser knowledge because uh, you you definitely pay attention to that. Yeah, well,
1: for better or for worse. Yeah, because so in the fire you can see in the firefight in the uh, in the library in the library, right? Yeah. So were they killing those poor dudes? I. I hope not, but who knows. I mean, all you do is see a beam hitting somebody and he goes down. Uh, you don't know if it was uh, on stun or not. Right. I mean, since it was Laren, I
0: mean, I, I hope she was stunning him. Right, but the Klingons were there too, right?
1: Well, well in an orbit. Yeah. They, I mean, Yeah. I don't what, know.
0: Yeah. Never mind. Never mind.
1: Okay. So, um, yeah. Who knows? Who knows? Uh, definitely Riker would have been on stun. Right. And he was fu- firing also.
0: Right. So, what'd you think about uh, Kurg making some sort of a return? Maybe not Kurg. What's his name? Uh, yeah, Kurg. Right.
1: Yeah. So, so this guy is a uh, the Klingon mm-hmm. is a descendant of uh star trek 3's uh reverend
0: jim's uh klingon right 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 and he even makes an appearance in this in a in a somewhat flashback of yes, Shatner right. and uh doc brown Klingon <laughs> there you go doc Brown Klingon that's another
1: way to put it and it does look like him that's him oh yeah so that was that was good that that's good drawing it's a it's a yeah. good likeness
0: and and I liked bringing in his family. I I like the House of Kirk coming back. I I, I, that, I
1: do too. That's I was great. Really digging that. That's right.
0: And that he was trying to get the Genesis device. I was like, man, this is this story is great. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I do like that part. Ah, <laughs> oh, Kirk, give me Genesis. There you go. Yeah, I, I like the tie-ins, and they even have a picture of the Genesis device operating on that planet.
0: Right. Yeah, and while I was reading this, I kept thinking of... Uh, there's a video game called Star Trek... Uh, what's it called? Legends or something? No, that's not it. Oh, I Star Trek Encounters, something like that. It's uh, Okay. It, it, or Conquest, that's what it is. Star Trek Conquest. And in it, it's, uh, it's kind of like a, a Risk-type game. You're trying to take over the universe, and uh-huh. you do it by playing it by playing it, and you get resources and things like that. But anyways one of the devices that both the klingons and the federation have uh, it's like a special weapon is the, the genesis device so you oh. can actually launch the genesis device from your home planet and it'll it'll hit one of the enemy planets and like uh take away half their resources oh half should take yeah. away the whole thing well you got to think some of them's probably in orbit you know so yeah okay but uh but anyways, I was reading this, and I'm like, oh, man, that's, that's kind of cool, because they can build these Genesis bombs like they have in, in – in, uh, what was it called? Uh, Conquest, but uh, never got that far. Just right. Chip. Good idea,
1: though. Good idea. Now, I do agree that <laughs> declassifying the Genesis uh, blueprints or something for cadets to study, it's like, right. Really? That's kind of. I, I agree with uh, the, the Klingon. You guys are idiots, <laughs> right?
0: I mean, on, on the scale of things that they should be kept classified, you know. Yeah. Telogians, okay. I don't really see why they have to be classified, and the and the and the Guardian isn't, but the Genesis Ice, it should be. It yeah, <laughs> it should be up there with the Guardian of Forever and that. Nobody needs access to those things because you can destroy the universe.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: Well, yeah, definitely with the
1: Guardian going back in time, really screwing right. things up.
0: Right, and then there's a uh, there's a novel series called uh, The Genesis Wave where you find out that they are able to create like a – almost like the Nexus ended up being a ribbon in space, but it's like this Genesis wave of energy that's just terraforming whole – whole solar systems just as it just runs across so whole uh, solar systems what? yeah because I mean it's literally like this just giant tidal wave and as it runs over planets it just like wipes them out oh wow takes out you know hits a sun it's gone so that sounds like uh, <laughs> that sounds like the
1: uh, 2009 Star Trek movie
0: yeah it reminded me a lot of the Nexus in that it was just this wave in space oh Nexus okay yeah. so generations generations right right okay Oh, you were thinking of uh, 2009, the uh, dark matter. Oh, oh, oh. You're thinking of what killed the Romulans? Oh, right. The. Okay. The.
1: <laughs> yes. The, the supernova. The, 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 the rather hard to believe supernova wave.
0: <laughs> yes. There but you go. But just go with it.
1: Just go with it.
0: Another example. Yeah. That's funny. Next. All right. The next one is Operation Assimilation, which. When you look at the book, it's a very meaty book. Oh, this is a this is annual-sized material here. And then you start reading it, and it's a somewhat short story um, packed in with a bunch of interviews and things like that. So uh,
1: and so the interviews make it a collector's item
0: issue, I like it says it. on the cover. Yeah, it's it's a, it's a collector's item. That's what it says. I bought it, so I I mean, well, that cover a and cover you're a collector. Get you to buy it. That's a good cover. <laughs> It's a pretty cool picture. Yeah. All right. Well, let's just uh, talk about it. Uh, I don't see another title, so I just call it uh, Operation Assimilation. Yep. Uh, the story is by Paul Jenkins. Layouts by Steve Irwin. The finishes were by Terry Pallet, Letters by Chris Elopoulos. Colors by Moose Bauman with Malibu Colors. Oh, that's interesting. Malibu. Uh, actually getting some credit here. Uh, cover by Hajime Soryama. edited by Mark Pansia, editor in chief Bob Harris, and then, uh, as mentioned earlier, there's a interview of Jonathan Frakes and a Borg article, uh, one by Mark Pansia and the other one by Michael Stewart. All right, so the cover shows, and it's it's a painting. It's it's actually a really interesting picture. So it shows a uh, buxom. Female Romulan or Vulcan. Uh, I'm assuming Romulan because of the ridges. Uh, who's been converted into a Borg. And she's standing there with her arms crossed over her chest. And then behind her we can see a little bit of a uh, Romulan bird of prey. Or Romulan wor- warship behind her. All right, the story starts off on a Romulan warship. Uh, above a subjected planet. Uh, the commander is called Moloch. And she's meeting with the natives uh, of the planet, and they are referred to as Tauros. Uh, these people are perhaps the same aliens that uh, were referred to as salt vampires from the episode The Man Trap. If they're not the same, they look exactly the same, except they're a little bit of a green color instead of white. Anyways, the Tauros are starting to rebel against their Romulan masters, And the Moloch will have none of it. And she orders the death of two out of every five insurgents by having them beamed out into space. She then also kills the Romulan commander who oversees the planet. With that, she leaves in her Romulan warship. Later, her ship comes across a Borg cube. This is the first encounter between the Borg and the Romulans. The Borg contact her and state resistance is futile, as we expect them to. They then hold the ship in a tractor beam, and they beam over several Borg drones. Moloch uses the same trick she used on the Taros people once the Romulans discover that their disruptors have no longer an effect. So she beams over the Borg drones out into the vacuum of space. This does not kill them, but at least a lot of them are out of her hair. Seeing that she's lost too much of the ship, she attempts a self-destruct, only to find out that the Borg have somehow been able to counter that command. With that, she's stunned by one of the remaining drones aboard the ship. She wakes in the cube in an assimilation chamber. As they are performing the assimilation, she drifts in and out of her dreams from the past. She revisits the death of her brother. She remembers the First kill she had as an adult and she also recalls her rise within the Romulan command structure when it is all said and done she is now fully Borg sometime later on a Romulan colony it is being attacked from a Borg cube in orbit the communication screen turns on and we see Moloch in full Borg attire and she states resistance is futile the Borg will prevail the end wow
1: so the main thrust of this is really I think is um, showing more detail of the assimilation process I think that's the I think that's the big showcase thing in this comic and I thought it was very interesting
0: in that they don't use anesthesia
1: they just start chopping away Well, that, and also the mental process, though. That's the thing I found more interesting. Because we've kind of seen a little bit about the external stuff, like when Picard got taken over and stuff, a little bit. But actually, what's going on in your head? I thought that was really interesting. And I think the comic medium is a very good way of uh, exploring that.
0: No, I agree. And and I liked the word balloons and that it was talking about, you know, the reason why she was revisiting all these things in the past is that it was her body's way of trying to escape the horrible stuff that's happening to it in the present. Right. But also she's losing her
1: identity. Uh oh, at you... least her Romulan identity. True. And then it's being replaced by a Borg identity. So I thought that was an interesting transition. Right. But right. yeah, but but your point too. Um it, yeah.
0: But very interesting. no, I thought it was a really good story. I, I liked it a lot. Right. And I liked that she's such a headstrong, determined woman at the beginning that, you know, you do not mess with this woman. She will just shoot you in the face and then walk over your corpse. And then it doesn't matter to the Borg. You're you're still gonna be just one of a million other drones once it's all said and done.
1: Yeah, you're just gonna lose your identity into the collective. I thought that was
0: really cool. Right. Yeah, I, I, I like that. She had such a strong personality at the beginning. Yeah. To end well, up not having a personality at all. Every every
1: bit as strong a person as Picard was, although in a slightly different way. I mean right. Picard was totally lost to the Borg. I mean he couldn't do squat. Um and neither could she. I mean she again it's the same kind of thing. At the end we see her uh in an assimilation of another uh Romulan planet, outpost, whatever. Right. Very interesting. Very interesting. Now, something I'm a little bit confused about. um, At first, when I started seeing, oh, this is the first time the Romulans come in contact with the Borg, I thought that was really interesting. However, um, then I started thinking back, well, I don't mean... I thought it was... The card and the enterprise's contact with the Borg that was the first time a uh alpha quadrant beta quadrant w- del- you know whatever quadrant you know the kind of places we're normally involved in um, I thought that was the first contact and that happened because q threw the enterprise you know billions of light years away into a different Part of space that they didn't know where it was at that time. Of course, later we find out um, uh, what, what, what quadrant that was in. Was it Gamma Quadrant? What was it? Uh, the Delta border from border in the Delta Quadrant. Delta Quadrant. Okay, Delta. The quadrant. Dominion right. is in the Gamma Quadrant. Gotcha. Okay, so anyway, I thought I thought it took Q's intervention to. That sent a a Federation ship that far away for us to come into contact. So that's what I got out of that. That was it. Uh, what what a Q who was that the one?
0: Uh, I think so.
1: Yeah. Anyway, w- whatever that one was. That's what I got out of that episode. But then I started looking into it because um, I would have thought that if that was the scenario and this with the Romulans happened earlier. Uh, Or did it happen after Q-Who? It seems like it happened earlier. Um, I I was just getting a little confused. So then I started doing a little uh, research on this, and I read that the first time that the Borg was really acknowledged was actually in in Next Gen, was in the first season episode um, called The Neutral Zone. And it was like, wait a minute, first season? that makes no sense with what was going on in q who? What's this about? So, and I didn't remember that episode, so I went ahead and, and watched it again. Okay. Or at least, not all the details, but I kind of skipped through it a little bit. Um, and so that was the one where, they, uh, where the Enterprise comes into contact with a sleeper ship, and they end up uh, being able to bring, wake up uh, three people from the past. So one guy's a, a country guy that kept on wanting data to be a side man or whatever, and then the other guy was a really rich guy who wanted to know where all of his money was, and then the third one was a lady, and I don't remember what her story was. But I'm like watching all this, going yadi yadi. Yada. This is this is not this is not uh, Romulan. This is not you know. So anyway, but by the end, that's the first time where I think we see Romulans again in the next gen continuity. And it's really a short bit at the very end, but there were attacks on both the Romulan or Romulan side of the neutral zone and the Federation side of the neutral zone, where there were huge uh, there were populations that were wiped out and huge scoops of uh, the colonies were uh, take, were scooped out or whatever. And it was like, oh, that was the Borg. It's like I didn't remember that.
0: Uh-huh. So they, they show the scooped out colonies? Or they just no, they just it?
1: talked about it. They just talked oh, okay. about it.
0: Okay.
1: So they never mentioned the Borg by name. They never said who it was. Um, but there were attacks on, on both the Romulans and the Federation. So it's like, wow, that's a continuity I did not remember at all. Um, so is that tied to this? So this happened in the um, first season time frame of Next Gen?
0: Um, yeah, or right before. Yeah, I don't know.
1: Yeah, so that was kind of interesting. And then, <clears throat> of course, all of that doesn't go along with what I got out of the Q Who episode. Right.
0: Anyway, what do you? Yeah, think? and they've kind of, kind of, uh, you know, they've backtracked a little bit on the the Q Who episode with you know seven of nine and, and her being a little child when right, assimilated. Right. 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 So, uh, but that's interesting that that it could have existed, you know, all the way up to the first season, and that it was already somewhat established that something was out there. That's, right. That's that's cool. I'll have to rewatch that too. Yeah. Just skip to
1: the end if you don't want to watch the whole thing. <laughs> just skip to like the last five, seven minutes or something.
0: Interesting. Cool. Yeah.
1: So. Uh right. So I thought it was interesting that the Romulans culturally repay their parents for their upbringing. With uh, of the course,
0: sword or whatever with a
1: sword. <laughs> it's like oh okay. Well, thanks. We'll put this over here next to the china cabinet.
0: Okay. <laughs> the the sword of her first death. So I mean the first kill. So right. who who are they killing? I don't know. Enemy of the empire, I guess. So every single person is required to at least kill one other person? Yeah. I I, I don't know. Seems or, like a lot of killing. Yeah.
1: And maybe she was just over-excelling. Maybe most people get, like, a crockpot. But <laughs> she was really good, so she went for the sword. Which is the kill of her first whatever. Right. And so is it is it is it Moli, Moliok? Or M- molik? So yeah, the I knew I was
0: mispronouncing it. I, I didn't know how.
1: Yeah, I don't. The, the spelling is M O L I O K. Yeah. So it was Mo-y-o-k. like I was looking at going. hmm, Yeah.
0: Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. You just gotta pick a pick a way to say it and just go with it. Right. So can we uh, talk about the uh, the insurgents at the beginning? Did those sure. not look like the salt people? The well, salt you vampires. Know.
1: When you mentioned that, I was like, what? Really? Uh, I didn't get that at all, but let me look again. Because I thought they looked kind of like blobby kind of people. Yeah, they they, they look like they're amphibious or something. Right, but they have the got same... Like, and they've got what? like seaweed on them or something.
0: What the well, I don't know what about? that is, if it's hair or what, but... But if I remember, the Salt Vampire had that same face and had the same 3 finger yeah. hands and, and 2 finger oh. toes. I mean... Oh, you saw the toes? Well, yeah, when she's blasting that one, he's kind of falling back no, and no, you no, no. see the hands I, and toes. Well, I know, the,
1: I, I know seeing the feet here in this comic. Oh, okay. I completely agree okay. there. But I'm saying in the uh, what the first season episode of Taz, where the salt vampire was used, I don't remember seeing the feet. Uh, I thought it showed him. Maybe it did. Maybe it did. Yeah, I, I guess a little bit. The only thing uh, is, I don't think there's as much detail. Because definitely I think that the makeup... They did on Taz had more detail, where here the aliens look very smooth, really, except for that that weird hair kind of stuff or whatever the heck's growing out of them. Which seems to be very interestingly arrayed in different ways. But maybe. Right. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I don't know. I mean I, I yeah. at first I thought it was seaweed too, but then I thought, well, I wonder if that's supposed to be like Matted hair, because I I remember the salt vampire having, like, grayish hair, right? Right. Yeah, could be. Could be. But they don't say they're salt vampires. They just, man, they look like it. (laughs) (laughs) So it does have a
1: mouth, like they're showing here, only it seems to have four teeth. And it's got eyes kind of like these guys, right? Right. And they seem to. It seems to have like white hair on its head,
0: right? Yeah, kind of like human white the, hair. The green colored, right. uh, you know, yeah, could a, be, another plant. Green could hair. Could be. Yep. <laughs> Good point, man. Good point. Anyways, I, I just thought it, it, it looked like them. Yeah. Green tinted version. Right. Now you don't see suction cups on their on their fingers. You don't get that that amount of detail, but right. But they could. But the hand structure and the feet structure just. Really reminded me of that episode. Cool. Yeah, that'd be an interesting tie-in. Yeah, I kept waiting for it. I was like, "All right, we'll make some sort of reference that they're sucking out all the salt out of men or something." <laughs> so, you know. Gosh
1: dang it! What of the locals have sucked the salt out of another Centurion?
0: What are you gonna do? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, I did like that they they do in this issue what we always talk about, that the transporter is your ultimate weapon. You could just beam people, and you don't even have to beam them anywhere. Just lose them in the pattern buffer. Whatever you want to do, you could do whatever you want to with people. Yeah. And here she does it to them, and then later she does it with the Borg, and I thought that was great. Yeah.
1: That's very smart. We don't normally... uh, The Federation doesn't normally do that kind of thing. But, hey... If you're in a situation like that Sounds good Right. So that's clever uh, I, I like that when they come up with things like that you may not have thought of Tactics, my friend Tactics
0: Right Although if you have personal shielding That deflects phaser fire You would think that the personal shielding would also Stop you from beaming them out into space But maybe not
1: <sighs> Good point That's a good point but, you know, quite frankly, part of the transportation process really is it scans you down to the micro level, down to the atom level, and then reproduces you someplace else, and they've got to destroy the original.
0: That is one theory, yes. No,
1: that, that's how it has to work. Well, what, what? you've got matter, right? Mm-hmm. Yep, and you've got a scanner that figures out all your parts down to the atomic level and is able to reproduce it, which is incredibly unlikely, but let's go with it. And and then it and then it electronically sends a signal about all that information, then it needs to remake you at a different spot. So what happened to the first one?
0: It's what happened to the sending original? all those individual particles to no, the other
1: spot. No. Wrong. Yes, wrong. Yes. Wrong. 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 Good <laughs> lord. I, how is that going to work? Uh, really? How is any of it going to work? You can't don't it? transport matter. You can't transport matter. Now if you scan all the information about it You convert it then to, to electrical send a signal,
0: impulses and then you send the impulses. That's only information. That isn't the actual matter. In future, it will be matter. <laughs> <sighs>
1: well, transporters are an incredibly handy thing to have in any kind of uh, you know story or world like this, but mm-hmm. it's fraught with problems. Sure, it is. Yeah.
0: As is light speed so and any other
1: stuff we take for granted. Light speed, FTL, baby. Yeah, I don't know how we're going to do that, but let's
0: hope it'll be cool. <laughs> okay, all right. so that's all I have to say about this issue Same here Same here Alright, and we won't uh, talk about the interviews And the Borg article Okay, sounds good Unless you wanted to
1: No, just that I thought it was uh, Oh, okay, I just thought that the previous issue Wasn't it the previous issue that they had the Riker interview? Or was that this one?
0: Uh, uh, the, the Jonathan no, Frakes interview It was this interview. one, okay. was this
1: one. I, I thought the Jonathan Frakes interview was kind of interesting You know uh, Even talking about um, First Contact and directing it And that kind of stuff sure. I thought there were some interesting things in there Not worth mentioning here but I'm just saying It's worth a read If you uh, If you're into some of the behind the scenes Of that most excellent TNG movie Right The best TNG movie I completely agree That's, that's clearly the best TNG movie Maybe the best movie out of all of them. I, yeah. I, you know, obviously that's got to be number one for TNG. And then obviously you'd have to compare that to the best Taz one, which clearly is uh, Wrath of 2009 Comic. movie, right? Oh, what? No no. No, no, no. I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Of course. Okay, so Taz, Taz, I said Taz. Which is, so, between those two, which is better? I First contact. <clears throat> Oh well, you're a first contact fan in general, but right. I like them all. I, I'm kind of torn uh, myself because I really liked uh, Wrath of Khan. Um. Anyway, whatever. So, anyway. so the, the thing is, they all have their own greatness to them. It's kind of hard to 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 rank them. Uh, at, at least the best of the best. Because right. I really enjoy the 2009 movie. But it's really difficult to compare that to the, uh, to first contact and the motion picture, Wrath of Khan. Oh man! (laughs) No, no. I'm saying comparing the best of the uh, the best of the different um, uh, series. I agree. It's very difficult, but oh, I can compare, I can compare the motion picture quite easily. (laughs) It's not that bad. It's way low.
0: It has way low
1: moments. It has moments, but not enough of them, and it is the slowest-paced movie. Good God,
0: <laughs>
1: way too slow. Anyway, whatever. This could this could this could get off onto a very long
0: tangent, right? And then we so. would be the slowest-paced podcast. And this, <laughs> oh, this is the Star Trek. They're talking about this crap again. They're talking
1: about it again. They talked about this
0: before. Move on. Okay. All right. Well, next week, we will be revisiting uh, what happened immediately after Star Trek First Contact. It is entitled Star Trek Second Contact. Ah, okay.
1: And that's part of the uh, X-Men crossover.
0: Right. So, little did we know that (coughs) when Picard and them were zooming back to the future, they somehow mixed in with the Marvel mainstream universe and had to team up with the X-Men. Eww. And it's called Second Contact, not because First Contact had just come out and this was an exact sequel to it. It's because the X Men had already met with Captain Kirk already, so for them it was their second introduction to an Enterprise. Hmm. Interesting, man. Is that a tease or what, man? It is a tease. Everybody just like. And I think you said in the
1: past that the excuse or the thing that made this meeting possible with the next gen uh crew uh made a lot more sense than the excuse for the Taws crew meetup
0: uh going off of you know 13 year old memories or hell even longer than that now um yes I, I do i do remember liking the second contact you know reasoning better than 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 the star treks reason yeah. but yep. uh I haven't revisited since you know since they came out on the bookshelf, so it'll be right. interesting to read them again. Cool.
1: And of course, that's the Achilles' heel of all of these crossovers. It's like, gee, wouldn't that be cool if these guys got together with these guys? And it's like they're in totally different continuities. So how's it going to happen? That's always a bit of a trick, isn't it?
0: Right. Right. Now there was also a novel which uh, maybe I'll try to read. I don't know. Uh, called um, uh, what's it? Mutant X or something like that, or uh, Star Trek X, something like that. Planet X, Planet X. Star Trek Next Generation, Planet X by Michael Jan Friedman. Uh, And uh, it was also a uh, Star Trek X-Men crossover. Wow. And I remember really not not enjoying the book. I, I read the first half twice now, and I've never finished it because... You know, it's just like suddenly a planet starts mutating, uh, you know, their youth start mutating or or showing signs of mutation where they have powers and things and they're like this reminds me of twentieth century when the X Men were around and you're like, What? <laughs> 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 so I remember I just could not get into it and then you know, there's like scenes where Jordy's like with Nightcrawler and, and Nightcrawler's doing his teleportation thing and then he's like, Oh, this is just like when we go to warp and we go we create a subspace bubble and Nightcrawler is creating a subspace bubble and moving through space and I'm just like, What? You don't have to explain everything, just just do it. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, I'm sure we'll talk about that more next week. Okay. That sounds good, man. All right. Okay. Well, thanks for
1: joining us everybody on The Review. Later. Thank you for listening to Star Trek Comic Book Review. All Star Trek stories and characters are copyrighted CBS Studios Incorporated. All music, stories, and characters discussed are for entertainment purposes only. You can email us at star-t-comic-book-review at gmail.com Visit us at our website www.stcomicbookreview.com Subscribe to us via iTunes or friend us on Facebook at First Name, ST Comic, Second Name, Book Review. See you next time on Star Trek Comic Book Review. Let's get the hell out of here.